you got a Bible this morning, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And um, we've been walking through this book, and the reason why we're walking through this book is I just felt from God that this was kind of where we were, where we are um, as a community, something that God's doing in us. And um, if you could actually take that off the screen for just a little bit, Solomita. Um, but we are, uh, we're walking through that um, book, and we're in chapter 7. And the whole point of chapter 7 is there was a bunch of people that were struggling with their relationships. And I was, a pastor I was talking to a while ago, he said this to me, he was, um, he does a lot of counseling, and he says, the majority of the counseling that I do is married people wishing that they were single and single people wishing that they were married. Everybody's frustrated with where they are. And what I've come to tell you this morning is that you were created to have a satisfied heart. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you that um, you have good things for every person here. And I know that there's so much struggle in relationship, but I know, God, that you have a peace-filled heart, a joy-filled heart for each of us. So, God, I just pray through your word you would speak to us, that you would have your way in and through each one of us. We pray that in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that we would hear your voice. We say, speak, God. Your kids are listening. And everyone said, amen. Um. So Paul's talking to this group of people in Corinth, a bunch of Greek people. And he actually just finished up in chapter 6. He was talking to one group of people in the church. And now he's going to talk to the next group of people. And the people that he talked to first was a group of people that said this. Look, if Jesus forgives me and sets me free, I am free to do whatever I want. And so Paul's like, look, no, no, no. You're missing the point. The point isn't that Christ forgives you of your sins, so now you can just go and do the exact same thing. He's actually calling you to live a different life. That you're forgiven, yes, but now you're called to live the life he actually intended you for you to live. And some of these crew, they were saying, well, I'm, I'm free, so that means I could do whatever I want. I could, I could, and they were going to the temple and like to the, where there's idols, and they were like having sex with the prostitutes and saying like, hey, God's forgiven me. And what Paul was saying, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, is that when we operate in sex in an improper way, it actually creates a wound in our heart. So there's some of us that walk around with mental wounds. And a mental wound is it's something where sexuality gets distorted and it becomes not so much a beautiful thing. It gets diminished in its value. Or, or maybe you receive an emotional wound where you had some abuse or trauma or something happened and your heart gets confused in the space of sexuality and actually... It becomes this weird mix of excitement and shame, disconnection and distress, decreased passion and frustration, always setting you up for some sort of an expectation but never fulfillment. Or maybe uh, a spiritual wound where shame and separation from God is caused and you find yourself competing and connected to spiritual forces that are set on your destruction. You find anger and anxiety increasing in your life and the peace of God decreasing in your life. Because there's consequences to just living however I want. And that crew was saying, look, I'm free. But he's like, no, no, this is destructive just to do whatever you want. But there was another crew in that church. And they were basically saying this, sex is bad. It's dirty. Don't do it. 
In fact, even if you're married, you probably shouldn't have sex with your spouse and just forget about it. Just live a celibate life. And Paul was saying, are you crazy? Because there was this belief in that culture that if you were really spiritually powerful and really right, then you would, you would not deal with any of those earthly things. But Paul is basically saying, look, I've given you gifts. Each one receives a gift. And to some people, that gift is celibacy. And to some people, that gift is marriage. Each one gets a gift. Don't despise what you've been given. Two factions. One saying, I can do whatever I want. The other saying, don't even touch it. And it reminds me of this. I feel like this is such a common thing in our culture. We have a pathway that says, um, people like, just toss out the rules, follow your heart, be your own boss. But the problem with saying whatever you believe is right is that gravity still works. And if you jump off the building, it still hurts. No matter how much I believe that it won't. And so there is a pain and a lie to the belief, follow your heart. And at the same time, the other method or the other belief system that people step into is the step of legalism that says, follow the rules and you'll be right before God. Do everything perfect. Do enough good things and you'll arrive. Problem with that thinking, it's like saying to Elon Musk or Bill Gates, knocking, going up to his door and saying, hey, Elon, I'm a really good person. I've done all these good things. I've, I've, I've walked. I've done all this stuff. Can I live with you? Because I'm a really great guy. Elon or Bill or whoever your favorite rich person is will look at you and say, I don't know you. And this is what Jesus is going to say to everyone who has tried to earn their way into the kingdom of God following all the rules. You're going to come with your list of what I've done, and he's going to say, but where's our connection? Where's our relationship? And so there's a lie in both directions. There's the lie of rebellion that just says go, and there's the lie of legalism that says earn it. They're both a lie. They both don't work. The way that does work is the way of relationship. Relationship says this. Because I love, I will. Because I love, I won't. It's not about doing what I want or performing for what I need. Jesus invites us into a relationship where love, not fear, or not greed, rules our motivation. Fear says, I better perform or I'll be punished. Lust says, I have to take it so I can get my needs met. Love says, Jesus takes the punishment and he promises to meet all of our needs. And this is also the method that he invites us into when it comes to marriage and relationship. That we're called not to live to get our needs met, but to live knowing God will provide for all of our needs. I like this. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 and 4 says this. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. It's not about my needs getting met. And if you think about it, this was a crazy revolutionary thought. Back in those days, it was a male-dominated society where it was like, the guy was like, you're basically almost just glorified property, and you have to do everything I have to say. 
And that's not right. But in our culture, we have this independent deal where it's everyone on their own, isolated, saying, I'm going to make sure my needs are met. So whether it's domination or whether it's isolation, both don't work. The point is interconnected. I am here to bless you. And I'm going to trust that my needs are going to be met. Relationship is about the other. It's a mutual care. Marriage was never meant to be self-serving. Taking care of each other is the best way to have our needs met. And all the married guys say, oh man, no amen. It's a big deal. All the married ladies say, all the married guys say, okay, good, 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 good. And so there was this conflict with these crew because the second crew was saying, look, I'm going to follow God. So because I'm going to follow God, I, I actually need to leave my spouse because they're, they're actually getting in the way of me following God. There was a crew that was saying that. And Paul's response says, uh-uh, Jesus says no. Jesus says that's not the way. You see, God loves marriage. And yes, in perfect marriages like all of ours. And perfect relationships like all of ours. I think it's easy to look on the outside of other people's relationships like, my goodness, they have it all together. I remember it was the first year of my wife and I getting married. We were sitting at Thanksgiving at my sister's house. And my brother-in-laws and my sisters were saying this. They're like, you know, wasn't our first, they were talking about themselves, wasn't the first year of marriage just amazing? They're all talking about how great their first year of marriage was. And, and my wife and I look at each other and like, man, we had a rough time. It was hard. It wasn't that blissful thing on earth. It was, kind of a, it was kind of a struggle. And it's easy to compare yourself in your relationships and go, my goodness, like, I guess I'm here and they're up there. But you see, God, does, God will give us grace for everything that we're walking through. And I think it is such a tool of the devil to turn, to, to make us look at the person that we're married to and say, see, they're the problem. See, they're limiting you from what God has for you. See, they're, they're actually holding you back. And God says, when did they become more powerful than me? When did they become more powerful? When, when did they make the place that I can't do what I have for you in my life? God promised that he would, do, he would give us everything we need. Everything. There's a passage in Matthew where some religious leaders come up to Jesus and they say this to him. Jesus, doesn't it say in the law, in the Old Testament, that we, men, are allowed to divorce our wives for any reason? And Jesus replies, probably with an angry sigh, and he's like, guys, you're missing the whole point. He answers them, haven't you read in the Bible that the Creator originally made them male and female, man and woman, for each other? Male and female. And because of this, a man leaves his father and mother and is firmly bonded to his wife. And they become one flesh. No longer two bodies, but one. Because God created this organic union of these two sexes. No one should desecrate his by cutting them in half. It's a crazy mystery that marriage actually makes two people one. Two imperfect 
just trying to do it right people that struggle and seek God and whatever. You are not perfect, but in it there is this beautiful union. It even says this in Malachi, that the presence of God rests within the union of marriage. What? It's pretty cool. So even in the midst of our imperfect choices and our imperfect work, God honors the covenant of marriage, and he will flow through it if we will live a life of mutuality and say, I'm going to bless my spouse. The Spirit of God goes, oh, I can use that. Man, I can, I can, make, I can do something awesome in this marriage. Jesus was basically saying this. Jesus said, Moses was giving you guys divorce as a concession to your hard-heartedness. It is not part of God's original plan. I'm holding you guys to the original plan and holding you liable for adultery if you divorce your faithful wife and then marry someone else. He's saying this, divorce? The only reason I gave you divorce is because your hearts are so hard you're not willing to change. I never intended that divorce was going to be a thing. And now here we are in North American culture, and we have divorce such a common thing. And Jesus says, divorce is happening because your hearts are hard. I'll tell you what, marriage is hard. I heard a guy, Tim Keller, say this. He says, marriage is like taking two rocks in a rock tumbler and turning it on. But what happens when you have those two rocks? You have these two rocks that don't look like much. You put them in the rock tumbler, and they, what they start doing, they start hitting each other. What happens after a couple days? They smooth out. They get beautiful if they stay in the rock tumbler. Now, there's a couple different things that Jesus says about divorce. The Bible talks about divorce that I just want to clarify real quick. Is One, Jesus said that divorce happens. He said, one, there's a reason that you can have divorce, and that is the place of adultery. And that is the place where one spouse says, hey, I don't want this, and they actually break the covenant. Adultery is like taking a hammer to your marriage and smashing it. Two, another reason where divorce can happen, the Bible talks about, is when it, there's abuse and abandonment. In Deuteronomy 24, it says basically that the, the call, the covenant of marriage is to care for, take care of, and be faithful to your spouse. So when someone breaks that covenant and they abandon their spouse, they abuse that spouse, they are doing the same thing. They're smashing the covenant. And lastly, it says it, and this is actually from 1 Corinthians here, it says that, that if a non-believer, you're married to someone that's not a believer, and they say, I don't want to do this anymore, and they say, I want to walk away, that God says, let them go. It's okay. I think this is a really fun thing to tell you. Did you know that God actually has been divorced? Book of Hosea. God tells his prophet, Hosea, he says, Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Great idea, God. How would you like that if God told you that? I want you to go marry this prostitute. He goes and he finds a lady named Gomer. How would you like that to name your firstborn, right, Gomer? And he marries this prostitute, and, and he says this. He says, Hosea, your marriage to Gomer is like my marriage to the people of Israel. 
And Gomer wasn't faithful to Hosea. In fact, she kept leaving him and whatever. And, and there is a point, it even says this in another spot in the Bible, that God says, I am done with you, Israel. Jeremiah 3 is like, I'm done with you. I'm giving you a certificate of divorce. You have not been faithful to me. You have a broken this covenant. But get this, in the very same passage, I don't know if you, you, you got the verse there for it. It says this, Hosea 11, 8 and 9. This is crazy. This is how much God loves his people. My people are hell-bent on leaving me. They pray to the God Baal for help. He doesn't lift a finger to help them. But how can I give you up, Ephraim? That's another name for Israel. How can I turn from you, Israel? How can I leave you ruined, devastated? I can't bear to even think such thoughts. My insides churn in protest. And so I'm not going to act on my anger. I'm not going to destroy Ephraim. And why? Because I am God and not human. I'm the Holy One, and I'm here in your very midst. See, God turned away from Israel, but he said this, because God's heart never gets hard. He actually said, look, look, I'm not a man. My heart doesn't get hard. How can I help it? But I love you. I made a covenant with you. I'm coming back to you. Here's my point. Divorce can only be initiated by the person who has been wronged. If I break covenant with my wife, it is my responsibility to restore. And God's desire is simply this. Divorce is never a happy thing. It's like a, it's like a death certificate, recognizing the death of a marriage. And God's desire is always for restoration. Always. Does that mean sometimes it needs to happen? Sure. But it's never the happy way. Second thought I had was, um, there's a crew of people here, there's people that are married, and Paul's saying, like, look, stay, stay in your marriage. Stay in where you are. And the second thing, he starts talking to people that are single. And a side note on singleness in this day is that Paul said there was, it was actually cultural that being single was actually more socially acceptable than being married. It was actually prized higher. In our culture, if you're not hooked up to somebody, it's like, you're like, oh, what's wrong? Why are you not in a relationship? But in that culture, it was almost like the flip a little bit. It was this superior thing. You're single. Wow, that's great. But in this culture, he is saying this. He, say, he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, Paul says, sometimes I wish everybody was single like me. A simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for, not for everyone, just like marriage isn't for everyone. God gives the gift of a single life to some and the gift of a married life to others. Singleness is a gift. Now, the first time I read that, I said, no, it's not. Remember, I was having some time with God, and I remember reading something like this. I think I was reading this passage, and it was all about singleness. And I felt like God whispered this into my heart. Hey, Jeremy, what if I asked you to stay single? And I said, well, that's a horrible idea. I'm not going to do it. And then I felt like God said this to me, Jeremy, give me your relationships. Give me the future of your relationships. And I was like, it's in my hand, and I'm like, uh, okay. 
God's gift to us is way better than what we could ever hope for. I think the other thing I think I want everyone to hear in this room is that you are not stuck. Relationally, he even goes on in this passage about of talking about people in their job, whether they're a slave or whether they're in some space. You are not stuck, but God actually has a gift for you in this season right where you are. Stop waiting for things to change and recognize God has something for you here, now, this moment. People say the grass is greener on the other side. Folks, the grass is greener where you water it. Where are you watering in your life? That's where it's going to be greener. That's where you're going to see more fruit. That's where you see things happening. What are you doing to water where you are? And Paul's basically saying this, 1 Corinthians 7.32, he says, I want you to be free from anxiety. Anybody have anxiety when it comes to relationships? And he says this, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, taking out the trash, paying the bills. And his interests are divided. When I was single, I would, someone would say, hey, you want to hang out or go somewhere? I would ask self and go, hey, self, what do you want to do? And then I'd get married and go, let me get back to you. Let me check with her. My life got a little more complicated. Now, that doesn't mean married life is a bad thing, but it does mean there's a greater stewardship on my life. We want so much sometimes to graduate to the next thing, and God's like, oh, you have no idea the blessing that you're in right now. You have no idea the good thing that I have for you right now. 1 Corinthians 27-31 says this. This is really good advice. Are you married? Stay married. Are you unmarried? Don't get married. But there is certainly no sin in getting married, whether you are a virgin or not. All I'm saying is that when you marry, you take on additional stress in an already stressful time. And I want you to spare that. I want to spare that to you if I can. I do want to point out, friends, that the time is of the essence. There is no time to waste. So don't complicate your life unnecessarily. Keep it simple. In marriage, in grief, in joy, whatever, even in ordinary things, your daily routines of shopping and so on, deal as sparingly as possible with the things that the world tries to thrust on you. Don't let the stuff of the world crowd out what's important. And this brings me to the whole point of what we're standing in today. Someday, you and I will stand before God. And there's going to be two things that we're going to care about and two things he's going to care about. One, what did I do with Jesus? Is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? Am I centered my life into his leadership, trusting in the cross and what he's done, saying, hey, Jesus, cleanse me, wash me, have your way? Is my name in the book? And two, he's going to say to you and me, so what did you do with the life that I gave you? What would you do? Well, I, I bought um, some nice cars. And I, uh, I had a good life. I, I enjoyed myself. I was, I was very happy. And God's like, I created you for a purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? 
Do you know the specific thing that God has for you, the, the people that he wants you to impact, the life he's calling you to live? He's going to call each one of us and he say, what did you do with my son? And what did you do with the life that I gave you? And this is Paul's whole thrust in this part. He's saying, look, you guys, time is of the essence. You only get today once, and we don't get tomorrow. We only get today. What are you doing with today? Want to get married? Go for it. Want to start a business? Make it happen. Want to travel the world? Awesome. Run for political office? Please do. We need some new leaders. But all of that's secondary. And if, Julianne, if you could pop up, that'd be cool. Um, all of that is secondary, though, to keeping the main thing the main thing. Paul's whole thrust here is, I want to spare you from anxiety. Keep your eyes on the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus and what he has for us today. Isaiah 32, 17. Got that on the screen? I think we do. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Why did I read that? When we step into God's right ways, there will be peace. When we step into God's right ways, what's the fruit of it? Quiet lives, endless trust. If there's anxiety in my life, there's a conversation that God wants to have with me. I'm not saying that life doesn't get hard sometimes. I'm not saying that we don't go through grief. I'm not saying that we don't go through struggle. But God is saying, look, the result of watering my life into God's right ways, the fruit of that will be peace. The fruit of that will be a quiet life full of trust. Is there anxiety? I think God wants to have a conversation with us. He wants us to pour our lives in the right direction. So there's three things I just want to step into today. I want to ask you about your past. I want to ask you about your present. I want to ask you about your future. With your past. Christ's desire is that we would step into a place of forgiveness and freedom from the past. That doesn't mean everything in the past was perfect, but it does mean that God desires to use it for your good and his glory, that he will, he'll use it to turn it to be a blessing. He really will. So I just, if you want to just close your eyes, I was going to say with me, but my eyes are going to stay open. I want you just to picture the cross. I just want you to hear God's heart for you today that he doesn't see you because of your failures or your mistakes or anything you've done, but he sees you as you submit to his son through his son, and he's like, I, I give you total forgiveness for all that stuff. So God, we just pray right now for anyone in this room that says, God, here's my past, <laughs> and we agree together today for total healing. We pray, God, for forgiveness. God, would you heal every heart in this room from all of the weights, all of the struggles, all of the stuff. We just, right now, we nail it to the cross, and we just say, God, would you forgive us of our sin? 
next space was the present. God has contentment for you here today. And I think one of the most powerful things we can do is say, thank you. I don't understand God, but thank you. So God, we just come to you right now and we just say, God, would you show us afresh and anew the good gift of today, what you've given us, that you've blessed us. You're not far from us. You're close to the brokenhearted. You've provided for us. So we pray right now, God, we simply just say, thank you. I don't see it all, God, but thank you. Thank you for what you have. And God, we also ask for wisdom today. Wisdom in all of our relationships, especially our relationship with you. And lastly, God, we just turn to you, our future. You promised to take care of all of my needs. That only works if he's the leader. If you're the one providing for the needs, it don't work. So God, we just, uh, we give you our lives. And we say, lead me, I will follow. What do you want with my life? God, we just pray over every uh, relationship in this room. God, every person wishing they were single and every married person wishing, you know, every married person wishing they were single, every single person wishing they were married. Every struggling marriage, every thriving marriage, every struggling single, every thriving single, God, we just thank you that you are a satisfaction to our heart. And we just say, God, speak to us in this area of relationship. Heal us. Heal us of any places of bruising and wounding, God. And we trust you that you're a good leader. You're the shepherd that leads us in a good way. And everyone said...